Hello and welcome to a bonus episode of Anthology presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. My name is Matt Hurt and if this is your first time listening, Anthology is my journey through the Twilight Zone as a first time viewer. Each podcast I review one episode of Rod Serling's iconic series and round out the show with a bonus review of a movie or show related to the week's main topic. But with season four of Black Mirror uh, somewhat recently premiering on Netflix... I'm covering each episode of the latest season of Charlie Brooker's anthology sci-fi series in this bonus episode series. You can find more of Anthology at anthologypod.com, and for a full episode archive, including my bonus episodes covering Black Mirror's first three seasons, go to anthologypod.com slash archive. And if you want to contact me, you can use the Facebook page at facebook.com slash anthologypod, tweet me at ovanthologypod, or send an email to matt at obsessiveviewer.com. And if you like what you hear and you want to support the podcast, the easiest way to do that would be to go over to iTunes and leave a rating and review. The more ratings and reviews I get, the easier it will be for people to find my show in the very crowded TV and film podcast genre. And finally, if you want to show your support with your wallet, you can do that by clicking the donate button on anthologypod.com or by visiting patreon.com slash obsessive viewer to set up recurring donations. Any and all donations made will help pay the fees to keep the podcast running and are greatly appreciated. And I just recently got a, a new Patreon subscriber, uh, Victor Gamboa from the Outer Limits podcast, who is a great, like, he has supported the um, podcast in the early days of Anthology, and uh, he just recently launched his Outer Limits podcast. It's great. He is a fan, fantastic host, and it's, uh, it puts, <laughs> it puts, uh, it puts me to shame here. But, uh, check that out. That's the Outer Limits podcast. Today on this episode, I will be discussing Hang the DJ. It is the fourth episode of Black Mirror's fourth season, which premiered on December 29th on Netflix. And uh, before I do that, I have a bunch of listener feedback that I want to get through. Um, and yeah, uh, but uh, if you want to skip that, check out the show notes, but don't because I love reading listener feedback and I want, I want uh, you guys to listen to it. So anyway, um, okay. <clears throat> First of all, sorry that I haven't been uh, quite up to date with the podcasting and everything. I don't know if you can tell, but I have a little bit of like I sound a little less like a high pitched woman, um, <laughs> because I've been, uh, kind of under the weather lately. And it's, uh, it's just, uh, between, between having just a recurring cold throughout pretty much the beginning, the entire beginning of 2018 and working in a call center environment where I have to talk for my talk time every day is like three and a half to four hours of talking nonstop. Um, it kind of gets to me. So, uh, that, and also if you follow me on Twitter, on my main Twitter account, obsessive viewer, uh, you'll know that I've been watching a ton of ER on Hulu. So I don't really have much of an excuse there. So anyway, I'm back to it and I'm excited to, um, provide my, uh, re awkward reviews of, uh, Black Mirror and the Twilight Zone. So anyway, listener feedback. So this, uh, I, I had a couple emails from Robert, one of my Patreon subscribers, um, who is going to have a special, uh, Patreon, uh, review come over, uh, come up on, uh, the next new episode of, of Anthology, the main feed, um, which stay tuned for later in the episode where I talk about that. And, uh, so I had a couple of emails from him. I'm going to go ahead and read, read them and, uh, comment on him. So <clears throat> here we go. And I forgot to ask him if this was 
uh, reference to the disaster artist slash the room, but his, uh, his email opened with, Oh, hi, Matt. Um, just listen to your review of Archangel. I agree that the episode could have been better. I just think it hit me harder because I have a two-year-old son and the temptation to getting of getting that device implanted would be something I would struggle with. I definitely wouldn't want to use the parental mode to blur out everything deemed bad by the program. I think that would cause my son to grow up not equipped to live or survive on his own. But maybe the mother and Archangel just wanted her daughter to live with her forever. That's definitely not the case with me. And that's why she was using the, that feature. It's not hard to imagine my fiance wanting to use Archangel on my son. She is super protective over him, and we struggle to find a perfect balance of parenting methods. I prefer to let him fall and learn from his bumps and bruises while she wants me to run behind him and always catch him before he falls. Anyways, I do wish this episode would have had more of a verbal confrontation at the end instead of a physical confrontation. I agree it felt weird for her to to attack that viciously. It was more of you're you're still using this tablet in the, uh it's more of you're still using this this tablet than a vicious attack. But overall a disturbing but good episode. And I'm going to stop right there and just say that I I agree. Yeah, I still have a little bit of issues with the um the violence in that episode. It seems kind of it didn't really mesh well with the whole um it it didn't seem like it tracked that well to me. Uh, I remember when reviewing it, I didn't really like when re- revisiting the episode. I didn't uh, have much of an issue with it, but but yeah. And then uh, Robert goes on to say, "I wanted to share my thoughts about Hang the DJ in case you want to read it for your episode review. I really love the idea of this episode of this episode and its execution. I thought the world building was nice. How it hinted at a wall and seeing the mysterious security people that seemed to be there to make sure you followed the rules of the community." I thought the two leads were great, and I want to see them in more stuff. I noticed Amy was in Electric Dreams in the episode called The Impossible Planet, which happened to be one of my favorite episodes. I felt the chemistry they had, especially after they touched hands on their first date. The idea of being stuck with someone for a year that you can't stand seems unbearable, and Amy having what seemed like one night stand after one night stand looked like it was taking a toll on her. Then in the second act, they get matched with each other and fall in love. I was screaming no when Frank looked at the expiration date, and it went from five years to just hours left. I thought this was going to be like a normal Black Mirror episode with something bad happening at the end. But instead, they rebel with each other, and the whole thing ends up being a simulation to find the perfect match. I wonder what the world would be like if everyone found their perfect match. Oh, me too. Um, I think the world would be better. Thanks for all the good work you do on this podcast. Can't wait to talk with you about Electric Dreams, which I promise that is going to happen soon. I just need to get through these Black Mirror reviews and... uh get my bearings on my podcasting. I felt I've fallen behind like I usually do. Um, uh, Robert also says, PS, I wanted to leave an iTunes review for anthology, but I have a galaxy and it wouldn't let me, uh, through the internet on here. And, and I don't have a PC at the moment, but when I get the chance, I'll definitely leave a five star review. And I really appreciate that. Um, for if, uh, I know like with, with Android and everything, like it's hard to actually leave iTunes reviews. Um, it's, it's really not, um, I appreciate the feedback and, uh, the, the emails and everything. Don't like, don't work too hard to get, leave me an iTunes review when I'm this flaky with releasing episodes. Um, but yeah, but an alternative is that you can go onto Stitcher and leave a, leave a quick review on there too. But anyway. Okay, and then Robert also emailed in his thoughts on the episode Crocodile, which was the last episode of Black Mirror that I reviewed. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and read his review there. 
Uh, hey, Matt, just got done listening to review to your review. I know I initially told you this was my least favorite episode, but after your review and my second viewing, that might change. I like it more, but I think with a couple of changes, this could have been a great episode instead of just a good episode. My first reason is I didn't like Mia's motivation to kill Rob. I think if he would have, I think if he would said, yeah. I think if he would have said he was going to confess, I would buy her desperation to kill him. But if he's sending an anonymous type letter, the risk of her being exposed would be minimal, I would think. And yeah, I, I, I'll stop there and just say that I do understand where you're coming from, for sure. Um, I think that that makes Mia an even more, like, um, if the, if the meaning of the title of the episode was that she's a crocodile and she's, she's cornered and gonna lat, lat, uh, lash out at whoever is threatening her. Um, it makes her more conniving and more, I mean, it makes me a less, uh, sympathetic, not that she was really that sympathetic at all, but just the fact that it's just the, the, uh, the slight, the slight possibility that, uh, that she could be uncovered and her life would be ruined. Um, I think that's a really compelling reason for her to kill Rob. Um, but then again, I mean, uh, uh, different strokes and everything. I totally understand the, uh, um, uh, that being a disconnect for you and for other, uh, watchers for sure. Um, and then Robert goes on to say, my last reason is one you brought up when she's viewing me as memory, despite the great acting, it was too cliche and I'm not one to usually call that kind of stuff out, but I hold black mirror to a higher standard. It would have been better if she saw the murder and was able to remain calm and not rush out letting Mia know that she what she, that she saw the murder and then maybe as she's leaving Mia doesn't want a chance that she saw it and right when she's opening her car door you see her hit on the head with the rock the screen goes black and Mia wakes up tied to the chair i actually liked your idea better where she doesn't see the murder but Mia kills her and her family anyway that's very dark i hope i'm not sounding like i'm nitpicking i just think this would have made crocodile a great episode as always i enjoyed your review keep up the great work thank you so much robert and yeah I agree. I think that I I agree that I think that having if they would have gone that route having it not so clear that like have her not not act so I mean I agree it was kind of cliché that that she just she panicked a little bit. Like it seemed a little bit I mean it's understandable why she would but it also seems like come on it it seems like a little bit more like uh melodramatic even. Um but if if she had not shown any any uh any hint of knowing it and and Mia would have killed her then i think it would have been an interesting connection to the death of of uh of um rob earlier that she's not that she's just not taking any chances um but yeah and i don't think it's necessarily nitpicking or anything because like I, it sounds like you still enjoyed the episode and i enjoyed the episode as well um but there are some elements that could make it better. And then Robert also ends the email by saying, uh, P.S. I can't wait to talk about Electric Dreams with you, especially the Hoodmaker, the Commuter, and the Impossible Planet. Uh, the Commuter had a couple things I didn't like that kept it from being uh, an all-time greatest episode I've watched. Maybe hearing your thoughts and watching it again, I may like it more. But what I will champion it for is Timothy Spall's performance ranks among the best I've ever seen. He better win something or I'll be pissed. Um, you know, it's funny because at this point I've actually seen those three episodes. I've actually watched those episodes and I'm going to, I'm very excited to, to get into my thoughts on those when I, when I get to my bonus review series of, of electric dreams. Um, but yeah, I'm very, I'm, 
I'm very curious what, what, uh, listeners will think of Electric Dreams. Um, and I'm excited to talk to, to Robert about it as well. Okay. So those are Robert's emails. And then I also got this, uh, very lengthy website comment from Michael, who, uh, I believe this is his first time writing into the podcast. And, um, first of all, Michael, I appreciate you listening and everything. And I'm going to go ahead and read your comments. So, um, this is a very long comment, but it is on the website. Um, Okay, so here we go. Michael says, I've been listening to your podcast for quite some time now, along with two other Twilight Zone podcasts. However, I have to say that your podcast about Archangel was one that I found a bit strange. To begin with, like you, I don't have kids. But also like you, I was a kid at some point. I'd like to comment on both the Black Mirror episode and your podcast episode. Okay, so first of all, um, there's going to be some slight spoilers for the Twilight Zone episode uh, Dust, so be warned there. Okay, so Michael goes on to say, Archangel definitely wasn't my favorite episode of the new season of Black Mirror. I found it, I found it really heavy handed in trying to get its point across. The mother was obviously obsessive. Someone with that type of personality would be smothering no matter what sort of technology was extent at the time. That being said, there are a, a lot of awful things that happen to kids. Bullying, sexual abuse, kidnappings, and injuries. I think the episode might have been more powerful if it showed examples of how the technology could help children as well. It's often the case that molesters and bullies threaten to hurt children or their families if they tell. I know a woman who was being physically abused by a boyfriend she had while in high school. The boyfriend threatened to hurt her and her family if she ever told anyone he was beating her. Ever since I was in high school many years ago, kids have been dying while pledging for some fraternity. I don't think parents send colleges away to, co- to college to join a dying a club. Oh, I, I misread that. Uh, <laughs> away to college to die joining a club. The fact is that there is so much that goes on in the life of a child that they are away from their parents. I could tell you of several instances of adults who probably wish their parents had something like Archangel at their disposal when they were in school. They grew up to be damaged adults. You don't need to have a smothering parent to have that outcome. Please don't think that this is in any way absolves the mother and the story of some of her acts. I just think it would have been a better story if the use of Archangel created debate as opposed to having it banned and only showing how it could be abused by a single parent. And I'm going to stop there and just say that I do agree with what Michael says here, that it is, I think that the concept of Archangel and the Archangel technology could be a great platform for like a feature length film that kind of explores those types of ideas of how it's useful and the debate of it and, and what, um, like it's, it's role in parenting and everything like that. Um, I think that would be an interesting platform, but I think the kind of point of the episode of Archangel was just to show what a smothering parent, what parent would have. And I don't think it was necessarily the, as much as it would have been interesting, I don't think it was the intent of, of Charlie Brooker and his team to, to really go into the debate uh, over the actual technology, which could have made for a much more interesting episode. I definitely agree on that end. And so this next part, Michael says, as for your comments on this episode, I thought they were a little strange and seemingly inconsistent when looking at your comments across episodes. You comment on how damaging it could be to edit the girl, edit the girl, edit, wow, to edit how the girl sees the world. For the record, I think hiding blood is extreme. However, in dust, you think it's strange that people would take children to a hanging. I'm sure, hopefully, there is a middle ground. My point is that all parents edit what their children see to some extent, and rightfully so, based on their age, uh, based on their age. Even many of the I don't edit what my children experience parents wouldn't sit down with their children to watch porn or take them to an execution. And yeah, that's, and yeah, that's a good, uh, point here. And I would say that it's, 
I, I, from my perspective, I wouldn't necessarily say that my, my view of it is necessarily completely inconsistent. I need to go, I should probably go back and re-listen to my, um, thoughts on Archangel. But, um, in terms of, I mean, in Dust, it seems like there was, like it was, uh, the intention of bringing the children to the hanging in Dust was to, you know, show them the punishment of, you know, drunk, wagoning i guess and uh and like to see that see like teach a lesson there and i can understand that i was actually going to bring up a an anecdote about uh and i didn't i didn't include this in the episode i probably should have but um basically when i was a kid my brother had just recently gotten his driver's license and there was a very terrible crash um in like within within about half a mile from where we lived off of the interstate and so my mom actually like uh, got us out of bed and, and, and like took us to not necessarily like right where the accident was, but like took us to where, um, to where we were in view of it. Just say like, you know, you shouldn't, you know, drive recklessly or anything like that. Um, cause my brother was a teenager, you know, teenagers drive recklessly. And that always stuck with me cause it was like, I don't know if that was necessarily the right thing to do <laughs> because I saw some kind of messed up stuff. Um, from afar. But anyway, um, I would say that there's a difference between taking children to a hanging and then, and, and, uh, editing, monitoring and editing out, um, scenes of violence or, or sex from a, from a child's perspective or from, from a child's uh, perspective and everything. So I don't know. I think, I think, I don't know. I, I think that it's, it's not necessarily the same, but I see your point, Michael, and I appreciate that feedback. Um, okay, so then he has this last part where he says, Lastly, every once in a while a buzzword is placed in the zeitgeist. The word you chose lately seems to be agency. The word of choice lately seems to be agency. I'm not sure what your childhood was like, but I knew a lot of 15-year-olds who made really, really bad decisions and paid for them later on in life. I think physicians have proven, if I'm wrong, then I apologize, that a teenager's brain isn't fully developed until they are much older. That doesn't sound like a recipe for for great decisions. And when you state that her boyfriend was a nice guy, I thought that was a bit strange. Individuals are complex, but he was profiting off of the weakness and a Addictions of others. The girl didn't seem like the type who would have gone and searched for cocaine on her own from a stranger. It seems doubtful that she would have gone elsewhere for drugs. As for him thinking that cocaine wasn't right for her, well, it's probably not right for anyone, <laughs> unless they are getting it from the from a doctor or chemist. Since he wasn't either and didn't know the girl's medical condition, he she could have easily have died. In real life, things don't end up like they do in the movies. I grew up around kids who smoked weed, as did I and those who went on to harder stuff. It doesn't work out too well a lot of the times. There's a reason why kids aren't allowed to do so many things at that age. I won't, I won't even mention the possibility statutory rape with the possible statutory rape with a boyfriend. Agency is a word that's way overused. Okay, so I want to comment on this. First of all, um, yes, yeah, so I, okay, when he pointed out the, that she's 15 years old, I, it's amazing to me because like I mentioned in the review that the, the girl playing uh, the, the girl in the episode is much older than 15. And even though we have that scene where she says that she's, where the mother says that she's 15, it just didn't even register me that he's register with me that he's older, potentially older, old enough, at least to drive a car and, and he could be an adult at this point. Um, so that, yeah. And, and that in retrospect kind of skews me out a little bit, the statutory rape 
portion of it. And I need to go back and re-listen to this because I hope that I didn't actually say that her boyfriend was a nice guy. <laughs> um, I'm sure that I probably did, but in retrospect, that is the wrong, uh, that is the wrong, uh, um, classification to put him in because he's not obviously obviously michael's right he is the boyfriend is not a nice guy he is as michael says um he's profiting off the weakness and addictions of others and while he wasn't instrumental in in giving her the cocaine she was i think that the he should have been more you know obviously uh more determined not to let her try it um because it's clear that he knows that she is this person that has had this implant in her brain for you know her whole life and that she's maybe it's maybe it's putting too much credit on him or putting too much on him because he he's probably kind of a stupid kid but you know he should know that she's acting out because she hasn't had these experiences before um yeah so anyway that's that's really good feedback as for the word agency i mean i don't really i don't really have a big issue with with buzzwords and in the zeitgeist i mean you can just as easily say that uh, replace the word agency with, you know, free will. <laughs> and granted, she's a, she's a kid and doesn't necessarily have that. But I mean, as he, as Michael said, in real life, things don't end up like they do in movies. I grew up around kids who smoked weed, as did Michael and those who went on to harder stuff. And yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of people do that as well, but it's also, it comes down to their personal choices and everything and in, in the beginning. And then, you know, when you get into addictions and everything, it gets, really terrible. I don't know. I feel like I'm putting my foot in my mouth. But anyway, thank you so much, Michael, for uh, providing that uh, awesome feedback. And thank you for listening as well. And hopefully, uh, <laughs> hopefully you don't think that I'm weird for calling a, a drug pushing potential statutory rapist, potentially calling him a nice guy, because that was not my intention at all. Um, all right. So anyway, uh, that's my feedback for, for this episode. Thank you guys so much for writing in. Um, feel free to, free to send me an email at matt at obsessiveviewer.com or do what Michael did and comment on the website. I get notifications on the, on the website as well. Um, and yeah, so let's go on to my review of Hang the DJ. This is an episode that I am very excited to review. So I'm, I'm, I'm just going to stop talking and start reading the plot summary and go from there. So. Of course, I'm going to be I'm going to be spoiling Hang the DJ from here on out. So, if you haven't watched it, go back to Netflix, watch it, come back and listen to this. So, plot summary according to IMDb for Hang the DJ. Paired by a dating program that puts an expiration date on all relationships, Frank and Amy soon begin to question the system's logic. This episode stars Georgina Campbell as Amy, who, as um, the email from Robert stated, appeared in the episode Impossible Planet of PKD's Electric Dreams, or Philip K. Dick's Electric Dreams on Amazon Prime. Uh, she also appeared in season three of Broadchurch, and she's going to be in the upcoming, I want to say it's sci-fi series, uh, the channel sci-fi, uh, Krypton, the uh, Superman prequel series. Um, and then co-starring as Frank is Joe Cole, who I, the two times that I saw this episode before I started making my notes and everything, I kept thinking, like, I kind of remember, rem- he reminds me of someone. I couldn't really put my finger on it. And I just realized he was in Green Room, uh, which was one of my favorite movies of 2015, 2016. I think it was 2015. Um, anyway, um, great, great movie. If you're into kind of creepy thriller violence, uh, check it out. Green Room is amazing. Uh, Joe Cole also appeared in Thank You for Your Service and the series Peaky Blinders. 
Writer for this episode was Charlie Brooker, and director was Tim Van Patten, who has a long history of directing um, television, most notably HBO series. Um, he directed episodes of Boardwalk Empire, The Sopranos, The uh, Pacific, Game of Thrones, Rome, The Wire, Sex and the City. He just has a very prolific directing career, and in fact, he even won an Emmy for uh, his direction in the season two finale of Boardwalk Empire. That episode t- is titled To the Lost, by the way, and just as a brief aside, Boardwalk Empire is a really great show for four seasons, and then the fifth season just kind of craps the bed, but that season finale in season two is a really interesting um, season finale because... Uh, like it was much, much, uh, um, a lot of, uh, there was a lot of negative feedback when it aired, but it was a very interesting case of a show making a very, um, daring, I guess would be the word, um, uh, choice for a season finale, but in, in, in actuality, it was so that they could get rid of a troubled, troublesome actor, (laughs) um, but it worked well for the series, I think. Anyway, so uh, on to my review of Hang the DJ. So my initial thoughts, so This is these are my initial thoughts after first seeing the episode for the first time. Um, my initial thoughts were I, that I absolutely adore this episode. Um, what I love about it is I love that Charlie Brooker and Tim Van Patten and the producers and everyone not only made what is a bona fide rom-com episode of Black Mirror, but they freaking made one that works so incredibly well. And just, I, I adore that. I adore this episode for that. And I'm going to be gushing throughout this entire review over how great it is as a piece of romantic comedy. <laughs> um, and how it follows that blueprint of the rom-com genre, which is a genre that I am an unabashed fan of. Um, but I will be honest that upon initially viewing it, um, I, I, at that point of writing this little blurb, I had seen the episode twice and I was really not sure how to take the ending. Like at all. I, it just kind of was lost on me. That first time I was like, okay, I, I love everything that happened in this episode, but I don't really understand what the hell happened at the end. Um, but I'll work through my feelings as I get to, as I get through my review here. So to go on to my actual review, um, right off the bat, I freaking love the music of this episode. And I love that ever since they went to Netflix, uh, Black Mirror has had pretty steady, um, soundtrack albums released. Um, you can find, um, albums for, uh, the music of, oh, um, let's see, San Junipero and, um, um, uh, oh, wow. What is the one with, with, Oh, wow. Um, one with, uh, Jessica, Ch- was it Jessica Chastain? Nosedive. Nosedive. Yeah. Uh, I love the episode. I love the music in the episode Nosedive. You can buy an album there. Oh, and it's Bryce Dallas Howard, not Jessica Chastain, of course. Anyway. So yeah, I, I love the music that, that Black Mirror has been doing and I love that they've been releasing the music. Um, I, it wasn't until I actually bought this particular episode's soundtrack on uh, Amazon Music that I realized that it was done at least in part by the band uh, Sigur Ross, which I honestly have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, I've literally only read the band's name um, online and everything, but their musical styling, like it fits so 
perfectly with this episode. It's absolutely beautiful. And I like I know them. The way that I the way that I find music essentially, I don't really listen to much new music um cuz I'm more into, you know, movies and TV, but the way that I find music is that I listen like I I hear music in movies and TV and I kind of latch onto that. But uh, uh Sigur Ross, they are just phenomenal. Um they had a song called Festival that played at the end of the movie 127 Hours that was just it's one of my favorite like not necessarily end credit scene but or end credits music but like it's one of my favorite like ending a movie musical numbers or musical drops. So anyway, so I encourage everyone to check out the music for this episode. It's phenomenal. And I'll be talking about it at at a few different parts of this review. So um, the next thing that I thought was that the little egg like device that they use to, um, to talk to the coach AI, um, it reminds me a lot of the compact e-reader like device that was used in it follows. Um, if you're not familiar with Ed Follows, go check it out. It's a, it's a really great horror movie, but, um, that movie is very interesting because it doesn't have like a set, like, year. Like, it's not, it kind of feels like a 70, like it's set in the 70s, but there's a girl that has like a, uh, like an e-reader device that looks like a compact, um, but it has like screens that she's reading on it. It's just, it's very unique in terms of, this kind of subtle prop essentially that kind of makes it in a, uh, an ambiguous time, um, for the setting. But anyway, the, the little devices that they use for the coach resemble that. And also I got a kick out of this because I was on Amazon, um, after I watched this episode at some point and the Amazon echo dot, I think it is looks a lot like this. I don't know how big it is, like the Echo Dot or anything, but if it was handheld, it would be a dead ringer for the little uh, egg devices that the the coach program has for for the characters. Um, So yeah, so to get into the actual episode, as I said, this is a romantic comedy episode of Black Mirror, and I love it for that. Like I said, I am an unabashed fan of the romantic comedy genre, and and one of the reasons why this episode of Black Mirror works so well as a rom-com episode is that it, the reason it works so well for me is that the the chemistry between Amy and Frank right from the outset it's instantly just effortless like they have instant chemistry and they are just amazing together and like I said I'm I'm such a huge fan of romantic comedies and I say that knowing, being well aware that as a genre, it's not the most well-respected genre of movie. Um, and and I understand that completely. And I would argue that there's kind of more pressure on a rom-com, just in general terms, to have engaging characters who have chemistry together than there is for a lot of other genres. Just because if you can't buy into the two leads of the rom-com f- falling for each other, the story itself falls apart completely. And that's why a lot of rom-coms just kind of fall into this really ridiculous, tropish, cliched kind of blueprint for rom-coms. And that's one of the reasons why a lot of them fail. But in this episode of um, Black Mirror, like just the first scene with Amy and Frank is just freaking beautiful. And 
I feel like that's by design by Charlie Brooker. I feel like he must know the, the ins and outs of the rom-com genre because right off the bat, we see this immediate connection form between Frank and Amy. And they're, they're nervous and they're flirting with each other. And more importantly, they, they kind of let their guard down almost instantly. Um, so they have this banter back and forth and, um, they're kind of, they're kind of bonding over the fact that this is their first time in the system. And this is the first time, their first dating experience with the system. And I, I don't know. I just think that one of the, one of the things I'd love about this episode is that at this point in the episode, I'm two, two and a half minutes in and I'm already just head over heels in love with these characters. And not only am I in love with these characters, but I'm in love with these characters that are literally talking about shit in the first scene. Like they're literally talking about fecal matter and I'm still just loving every second of it because they have such a great banter back and forth and such a great energy. And I just think it's fantastic, fantastic. And if the, if the scene at the opening of this episode or this, their first scene together, if that was anything short of, of fantastic, it would have been, it would have made the entire episode kind of crumble in my opinion. And I think that that's a really great thing that Charlie Brooker was able to get that established. So effortlessly, it seems. So after they have their kind of banter and everything, I like that um, almost immediately after that, it's established that they're not in a traditional or real world. Um, we see a shot of the guards watching them, and there's the hint that the system won't allow them to have control over their own choices. Like they ask if... Um, I think Amy asks Frank if he, if she can try his food and then Frank's like, are we allowed to do that? Will they, will they let us do that? And this little... This little section or this little scene um, made me think a little bit of 15 million merits um, and the way that the that the dystopian society of 15 million merits kind of kept um, kind of kept blocking um, Bing's uh, interactions with um, oh, I can't remember the female lead in that um, with the the girl in it. Like I'm thinking specifically about when he's in the bathroom and he hears her singing and then uh as he's talking to her and striking up a conversation of it the the system or the 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 world um the kind of ominous dystopian society blocks him or like or like kind of steps in and and shows the wraith babes um advertisement so i kind of get like it kind of reminded me vaguely of that uh, this episode did and i thought that it was interesting that um this whole like kind of dystopic kind of system that's kind of trapping them there is uh I, I i like that that was divulged to us almost right before the whole concept of the exp, uh, expiration dates was introduced um because it makes sense that we're told that there's something bigger than frank and amy that are taking away their free will and their choice and then we see it kind of builds on that on that uh initial kind of subtle um thing where we just see the guards and and that kind of it plants it in our heads that, oh, there's there's something kind of sinister going on. And then we see that, oh, okay, well, they're not just having this cute, this meet cute. They have a set period of time where they're allowed to interact with each other. And I think that's a good kind of, uh, kind of world building, a, a good piece of world building in the episode is, is in that uh, brief scene. 
And um, I think that the overall aesthetic of the world is kind of interesting. Um, the restaurant that they meet in and that they have different different scenes in throughout the episode, it's kind of this high-class restaurant, fancy kind of thing. But that's juxtaposed with this somewhat old-looking kind of feel of uh, the self-driving cars that transports them to and from their little, like, bungalows and stuff. Uh, the vehicles themselves looked aged aged and that gives me the impression that the system has been in place for a while and that kind of gives you some kind of idea that that this has been the norm for a long time and uh when they get to their little shack um that's actually really nice um the awkwardness of it um and how how it's their both their first time and they don't know if they're supposed to have sex or or not like all of that is just it's an extension of the meat cute of the restaurant scene because they're so charming together and we get the great like kind of sort of like rom-com scene where they where they kind of go off alone by themselves and they consult their their coaches to say like are they are we supposed to have sex and then the coach is being kind of coy with them about it and um and then we get to the point where they where they're in bed together and it's I think it's 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 really a a great piece of character building and it's very endearing that they don't have sex together. Um there's a certain amount of intimacy between them that builds because of the fact that they don't have sex together. And when they're holding hands, um like that that kind of intimacy is something that's not present at all in any of their other pairings with other characters. And that's what sets them apart and makes their pairing so special. And that makes the us as the audience just connect with them on such a deeper level. Um just because they're they're just laying there holding hands and it's just they're perfectly at peace with one another. Um and then in that scene where they're in bed, they're kind of talking about what, it, uh, quote, what it must have been like before the system. And Amy says that it must have been, uh, she says it must have been mental because people had to do the whole relationship thing themselves. And first of all, yeah, I, I agree, Amy. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, but they talk about what it must have been like to have to break up with someone and how it's much easier to have everything mapped out. And that's one thing that I found really compelling about the whole overall concept of the episode, because in theory, this episode, um, is about dating and relationships. Like, obviously that's the, that's the main point of the episode. That's kind of the allegory that it's striking. And from my perspective, it's specifically about online dating and, to be honest, um, the reason why I, I why I identify so much with this episode is that it really does speak to me as a single guy in his 30s who has had his share of dating experiences and specifically online dating encounters. And on that level, I found this episode to be somewhat profound in its handling of online dating and in a way that it almost, maybe this is the cynic in me, but it kind of seems like it skewers online dating just a little bit, uh, at least up until the ending. Um, because they talk about how they pour everything about themselves into these coach devices that they have and how it tracks everything about them and uses all their data to find the perfect match for them. And this in a nutshell is kind of the, the, uh, I guess the, the purpose behind online dating or the idea of online dating. I mean, you set up a profile, you put as much information about yourself as you can into it. You answer tons tons, tons of personality questions. And then the website website just spits out people who are most compatible with you. And these are just free, the free websites I'm talking about. Like I'm not talking about 
stuff like match.com where you have to pay. I've never, I've never paid for an online dating service or anything, but like websites like OkCupid, they have these very thorough, like personality questions that it's all based on an algorithm and, and the compatibility is based on the algorithm and everything. And truly that's the reason why I love this episode so much is because in my years of going back and forth to online dating every now and then, I've come to kind of detest it as a legitimate way to meet someone for, like, uh, okay, I'm going to put my foot in my mouth. I've come to kind of detest it as a legitimate way for me to meet someone. Like, I know people who met through online dating, and it worked out perfectly for them, and they're happy, and that's that's fantastic. That's fantastic. It's great for them. It really is. But for me, though, I just don't think I'd find someone I could potentially I could potentially spend the rest of my life with based on an algorithm or just by chance of just happening past their, uh, their profile and, and getting, uh, sending a message and, and getting a message back. I, I just, maybe I'm just bitter, but I, I don't know. I just, I just, it's not for me. And I think that that's partially the statement that this episode is making. Um, cause the system that they're in, they can, the system puts them through the ringer of bad dating experiences so that they'll find their 99.8% perfect match. But from the outset of the episode, it's clear that Amy and Frank belong together. And that's what's so endearing to me about this episode is that in the end, they're working against the construct of the system to be together. It's not this al- algorithm that they're, that they're, like, they're not matched up as their perfect soulmate matches and everything. It's just they're fighting their way out of this, this kind of, uh, allegory for online dating. Um, of course, all of these cynical statements I'm making are going to be completely, um, uh, completely, uh, discredited when I get to the ending of the actual episode, but that's neither here nor there. So anyway, so the next day in, in the episode, um, Amy says goodbye to Frank and Frank says goodbye to Amy after their night together where they don't sleep together. And I absolutely love this scene and their, their goodbye because, um, Amy tells Frank that he could have gotten laid, but it's not this one-sided thing where like, oh, the, the attractive woman is telling the kind of, kind of, uh, unconventionally handsome guy, uh, that, oh, you to- totally could have gotten laid. Ha ha. Like, it's, it's not like this, this cheeky, like, um, uh, I don't know what word I'm trying to use, but like, it's not like this cheeky, like, ha ha, you could have gotten laid, but it's, it's, they're both still on equal, equal, uh, equal ground there, uh, an even playing field because he says like his snap back to her is that, uh, he, that she would have gotten laid too. And she just says, uh, she says, we fucked that one up, didn't we? I just love how they're so, they're so just like, um, even killed. They're so like, uh, on the same wavelength. Um, in that I love that their goodbye isn't some star crossed lover melodrama that they're, they're like, no, we need to like, they're not immediately like fighting the system because they want more time together. Um, when the system tells them that their relationship's over, they just part ways and it's very amicable and it's very charming and, and still that hint of flirtatious, uh, flirt, uh, flirtatiousness is there. And it's just like, it's just so great because that really, um, tethers you to their relationship. It's more about them having this, this one night together or this one evening together where they are completely compatible with each other. And then, you know, the night ends and then they, they go their separate ways. And it's just such a, such a wonderful, um, kind of charm to it that, that the episode doesn't bring on the drama at that point. 
And so after they part, <laughs> they we get a scene where they are kind of individually talking to the coach system. And honestly, like this is the moment where I where I just fell in love with this episode. Um, I I thought that this was just kind of honestly a stroke of genius because, um. We get, we get a scene of Amy talking to the coach system about the date as she's running through the, the park. And then a scene of Frank doing the same thing. And they're both kind of doing the whole like, um, post mortem on the date. And it's, it's the same exact thing. Um, it's, it's what I love. What I love about this is that it is such a huge rom com trope. It's the classic guy and girl go on a date and then, we see them talk about it with their token best friend characters afterwards, like the supporting characters. And it's in just about every single romantic comedy that you have the main characters have, um, friends that they confide to about the, about the relationship at the center of it. It's a very easy kind of narrative device for people writing rom-coms because you get, you know, the main character externalizing his, his or her, you know, inner, thoughts about it. It's just, it's such, it's such a cliche of the rom-com genre and it's incorporated in this episode by this coach character. That's the AI representation of some dystopian society that they're, that they are kind of, um, trapped in. It's just, I, I love that. And I love that Black Mirror didn't ignore that convention when they were making a rom-com episode. And, um, yeah, and so okay, so in my notes here, I have that uh, it's the coach character, and the that character is an AI representation of someone of a system that is keeping them confined to this place. And I put, I end that thought with instead of against some cheesy, instead of instead of the scene being uh, with some cheesy best friend comic relief type character. And then in the very next scene, we get, uh, Amy at her date with the coach and she is, uh, she speaks into the coach and it's like, oh my God, is that him with her date? That's this very attractive man. And then, uh, he approaches her and then, and then the, the coach says, identity confirmed. <laughs> and it's, it's just a very loud, it's a very comedic moment. Um, and it's just, I, I love that. Like, I didn't need that comic relief from the, from the coach, confidant, best friend, best friend stand in character, but we still got it. And we got it in a way that isn't, it, that feels kind of organic to the episode. I just, I love that about it. And so these next relationships we see with, for Amy and Frank individually are pivotal to the story. And I think that it's interesting that Amy's next relationship is with someone that's, that she's immediately physically attracted to. Um, because it's an interesting jump from Frank who has this kind of nervous energy. He's, he's this unconventionally handsome guy, like I said. Um, it's in stark contrast to this other guy. I think his name's Lenny. Yeah, Lenny. Uh, this other guy is just this very attractive, well put together man who is, exudes confidence. And I think thought that that was an interesting um, next relationship for Amy. And then Frank's next relationship seems like a freaking nightmare. Um, like it's just. Uh, her name is Nicola and she's just like out from the outset. It's just, it's clear that she's just a miserable, miserable person and that Frank is going to be miserable with her. And 
um, it's just so evident in the, in the scene where they're at dinner and she comments that, uh, he said, he says something about his food and then she comments that he's the kind of person who makes jokes. And like, I felt terrible for him because they're, they're stuck together for a year and that's just such a downer. Um, yeah. And, and I guess this is a good part to kind of talk about the whole concept of expiration dates and everything. Um, it's really interesting, um, in concept because in the real world, you never know how long your relationship's going to last and everything. And, um, in theory, it's like I said earlier, it's in theory, it's an interesting concept that this, that this, um, device is going to give them basically run them through tons of relationships before they can get to their perfect match. Like in theory, it's interesting in practice. It's terrible and, and horrible and not at all a, a good way to, you know, find the perfect match. But anyway, so the guy with Amy, basically um, this is something that I kind of liked as, as being a sitcom fan. He basically does the naked man from how I met your mother. Um, I thought that was kind of funny. Um, if you're not familiar, the naked man from how I met your mother, it's kind of self-explanatory. Um, go check it out. I think it's like season five of how I met your mother. How I met your mother is it crapped the bed at the end of the series, but it had some really good stuff, uh, throughout its run. So anyway, um, and then in this scene, when, when Amy and Lenny are going, are about to sleep together, that's where we get the, um, some more kind of backstory, not backstory, but some more world building because they actually have to consent to everything in the device before they have sex. And that's, I thought that was an interesting concept and, and kind of a nice touch as kind of a protective thing for the, for the people involved in the system. And so we get this, um, dual sex scene between Frank and Nicola and then, uh, it intercuts, intercuts between them and then with Amy and Lenny. And, I thought that that was a really interesting juxtaposition because the physical attra- the phys- physical attraction and passion is clearly there in Amy's relationship, but the emotional connection just isn't at all. And like it's evident in the fact that she can't joke about his exhaling after drinking because he simply does not have a sense of humor, and that's not their their relationship isn't based on any type of emotional connection. It's just strictly on sex and physical attraction. And then on the other hand, Frank and Nicola are just 100% incompatible and just not just, they don't work well together at all. And then I, I like that as kind of a bridging, bridging to the next scene where, where Frank and Amy not reconnect, but they, they meet up again at, what I think is the equivalent of the system systems equivalent of a wedding. Um, but I don't know if it's necessarily a wedding. Um, from what I could tell, it's kind of like a, from what I can infer from, from the, uh, episode, it seems like when they meet their perfect match, that's when they're released from the system. That's what I'm, I'm thinking. At least I don't know the whole fact that it's a simulation and part of an app and everything kind of throws a wrench into any theory that I have throughout the, throughout the whole episode. But suffice it to say the scene at the wedding or ceremony or whatever you want to call it, um, is great. Cause, cause Frank, like Frank eating the garlic dip to spite, uh, Nicola is, is really great. Um, I, I, I love that. And then how it comes into play is, and again, this is such a kind of cliche kind of thing. Like he chokes on it and Amy comes in like what, when he's talking to Amy and then, you know, he has to, he spits up on her shoe. Like it's, I, 
I don't know. Like that is kind of a mortifying kind of thing. And it's and, like embarrassing and it's cringeworthy and it's, it's hilarious for comedic effect. But regardless of that, I love that the spark is still there between them. Like every scene between Frank and Amy leading up to their relationship is just absolutely electric to me. I, I absolutely love their connection. And, um, it's just, it's great that we have, like, we have that. Like, we see that the spark is still there. It kind of seeds us to be excited when they actually get matched up for a real relationship. And then, uh, after that, we get the scene where Amy is in bed with Lenny, and we kind of get the, I, I liken it to the, uh, Spider-Man 2 scene, um, where Mary Jane tries to kiss, what's his name, upside down. But anyway, um, so Amy holds Lenny's hand when they're in bed and he misreads it as an invitation for sex, which that's kind of heartbreaking because as I said, that's all their relationship is based on. And then, um, it's just kind of just heartbreaking that she doesn't have like any other deeper connection with this guy, but then that kind of heartbreaking thing, cause it's, it's something that's kind of reiterated. It's kind of a, Let's see. It's it's kind of reinforcing what we've already known about it. But after that, we get this um, we get this funny comedic scene where Lenny is is going down on her, and he does the exhale thing, and like that. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of a dirty joke, but it's it's hilarious, and it hits so well in this episode. Um, I absolutely love it. And then so we get another um piece of music as we go through this montage of um not necessarily their bad relationship countdown, but it's kind of starts after Amy's relationship ends with Lenny and she has the, uh, kind of, uh, the montage of, of one night stands and the music that's playing throughout that sequence is just really great. If you have the, uh, soundtrack, it's the track is called hours, days, months. Um, really, really great, beautiful music. So, so to kind of talk a little bit more about Amy and her one night stands and everything, I don't, I don't know. It, it, first of all, it's kind of messed up to have her just go through so many one night stands and just go through meaningless sexual encounter to meaning, meaningless sexual encounter. And honestly, I don't know what, if anything, the episode is trying to say about dating and relationships in this. I don't know if they're, like I said, I don't know if they're trying to say anything, but, um, I mean, I guess I could, I could, see it as maybe the fact that her relationship with Lenny was based entirely around sex, that the system is throwing her all these one night stands because of that. But it kind of seems like, I don't know, it kind of seems like a cheap shot or, um, it seems like something that I I don't know. Something about it kind of bugs me. Like it's probably my one critique of the entire episode is that I just, I don't get why she had to go through meaningless one night stands after meaningless one night stands. Um, it just seemed kind of cruel, if anything. Um, maybe it's the system trying to keep her and Frank apart because she knows the, the system knows that she, uh, wants to be with Frank. So maybe, she, maybe it is as she, um, theorizes later in the episode. Maybe it is just wearing her down to where she's accepting of, um, of her eventual perfect match. Um, and I mean, I guess that's true to an extent to, to real life. I mean, not to put a blanket, make a blanket statement about, um, relationships and everything. But when you have a strong connection with someone and you lose that connection, you know, some people would find that, uh, would, would go, 
do the whole like meaningless one night stand thing as a way to for, kind of forget that, um, uh, to forget that connection. And I can definitely understand that. And I can, I mean, I guess I get, now that I'm talking it out, I can kind of see the relevance of having her go through the one night stands in the episode. It just kind of felt like a, it kind of, it kind of felt kind of cruel, unnecessarily cruel to the character. And so, um, <laughs> okay. So I, at this point, Frank, um, and his, his relationship with Nicola, um, ends. And first of all, I just, I, I, I love the, the end of their relationship. It's just like they can, they barely, they can barely stand each other. They don't say anything. They just, they just leave and they part ways. But, um, so now we've reached the point of the episode where after that relationship dissolves, Frank is talking to the coach system and that's when the coach starts telling Frank that, um, everything happens for a reason. And as a brief aside, and I don't want to get too personal here, but I cannot tell you just how much this part of the episode resonated with me on a personal level and how much I identified with Frank and the way that he just scoffs at the system when she says it. Um, because specifically because in my experience, when you are single and you're dating, um, and it's not going successfully, it's very, very common, at least in my experience, for people in your life to tell you something along the lines of, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be, or everything happens for a reason, or my personal favorite is, you'll find someone, you just have to stop looking. Um, my reaction to those well-meaning but ridiculously ill-conceived statements of reassurance is just perfectly summed up with Frank's dismissive reaction to the coach saying that everything happens for a reason. and. I like I just I love that uh that this episode incorporated that into into the story. I maybe I'm putting a lot more importance into Frank's like very brief scoff at it uh, at uh at her saying that, but I just really like that. And then also I'm <laughs> I have to say that in my notes here I have uh after I after I have that section I put I'm okay guys, really. I have my cat. So don't worry about me. I'm doing just fine. Um so anyway, uh, this next scene we get, we get Amy and Frank getting back together. Um, and I love that they are paired again. And it's just right from the outset, you know, that they're, they're connected. They have this connection there. They have this unfinished thing between them that, um, they're going to finally get to, you know, go through in an actual relationship. And this idea of not checking the expiration date is, is great. It's kind of in contrast to what they were saying when they were in bed the first night that, um, it must've been crazy to not have everything mapped out. But now that they, now that they've been in terrible relationships, they know that it's more important to just be with the person that you're with. And I, I just love that sentiment. And I love even more how that comes into play later, which I'll talk about in a bit. But, um, but I just love that they still have that chemistry when they're in the relationship. It's this, their flirtatious bantering right before they hook up and specifically is really charming by the way. But I just, I, I just love that that chemistry just doesn't stop. They're just, they're just right. It, it just really plays into this whole idea that they are perfect for each other. And that's, it's, it's great. It's fantastic. I love that their poor relationships didn't tarnish how they could interact with each other in an actual relationship with each other. I just, I just, I love that about them. It didn't crush their spirits too much that they could, um, destroy what they, what they could possibly have. Um, 
that's debatable for later in this episode. But anyway, um, so after they've been together, they have this scene where they are kind of in this beautiful like gazebo place and they're kind of talking about how the system is and, and they're theorizing about it. So Amy has this theory that it's random and that the system is just wearing them down um, until they're just, you know, they're desperate for a perfect match, even though it's not actually a perfect match. And that has a ring of truth to it um, as far as real world relationships goes. If you are cynical about dating and online dating, again, I'm okay. I have my cat. So anyway, Frank's theory uh, that if that they're stuck in, in a simulation, it's kind of interesting because it does, it kind of comes into play. Like it's, he's this kind of, uh, I don't want to say a character that's not to be taken seriously, but he is this kind of goofy ish character. So when he says like, we're stuck in a simulation, it seems like this really outlandish idea. Like, Oh, he's just, that's kind of a weird thing to say, but it's funny because I mean, it's right. Like that's exactly what, what they're doing. Um, and of course, of course, I'll talk about my thoughts on the ending when I come to it. But um, I just love that we get that just spelled out to us with 20 minutes left in the episode. Um, on the other hand, you could kind of say that that's a little bit sloppy, but I had no problems with it, no qualms with it at all. And um, so and at this point, I kind of had not necessarily I wasn't necessarily confused, but I was kind of thinking that um it kind of doesn't seem like they live in a society where they have to work or anything. Like I made the comparison to 15 million merits and how 15 million merits was kind of suppressing emotions and everything. But 15 million merits is based entirely around people working every day doing this just terrible, like exercise bike or cleaning or what have you just all day. Um, and then just they're sucking their brains out by watching TV all night. Um, I'm four seasons into ER guys, but anyway, um, but like here, it doesn't seem, we don't have any of that. It's like this, it feels like the society is based solely on relationships and relationship buildings, uh, or relation building relationships and finding, finding adequate relationships. Um, it reminds me of the premise of the movie, the lobster, which I haven't seen the movie, but I did see the director's follow up to that. Um, the sacred, uh, the killing of a sacred deer, which I, thought wasn't uh, wasn't not a good movie at all but anyway so i've always been interested to see the lobster because it has some interesting uh an interesting premise but anyway um then i kind of started wondering if this this society in hang the dj if, if it's like a camp like they're trapped there is it like a is it like a a camp or like a um obviously they're trapped there so it's it's got to be like something that like that their purpose is to find a way out so um by finding their perfect mate I guess. But anyway, um, so then we come to the scene where he checks the expiration date and man, that is so heartbreaking, both because it's a betrayal of her trust and also because it penalizes them so severely. Like, I, oh, I don't know. Like going from five years to 20 hours with this person that you are perfectly suited, suited with is absolutely heartbreaking. Um, but it's fitting though, because he did betray her trust. So naturally their compatibility is now completely off kilter and the recalibration itself is just terrible because it is such a severe penalty, but it's kind of warranted. Um, like that whole sequence just destroyed me. And then you kind of add to the, add to that, the fact that the coach keeps telling him that everything happens for a reason. <laughs> like that is just such a slap in the face. 
Um, yeah, it's it's just such a slap in the face. So anyway, after they, um, so after that, they they kind of spend a day together where their last day together where, um, where Frank is just is very morose and not like kind of distant toward her. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. Like I, um, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but I'll, I'll save that for later. But anyway, um, when they get to the point where they argue about the, about the expiration date and he tells her about it, I, I love that scene because it, I mean, it follows the blueprint of the romantic comedy. Like they, they have the meet cute, they get together, they break up, they get back together kind of thing. Um, I mean, it's, it fits that formula, but what I love about this particular, like, argument and, and their, the reason for their breakup is that you can follow both sides logic very well. Like you can follow his logic and, um, like he's, he was very well intentioned because he cares about her and about their relationship so much. Like he's, he's in love with her and he just wanted to know how much time he had because he doesn't know, he didn't know when they were not going to be together anymore. Like he needed to know that I could understand that eating, eating away at him, but it's also, on the other hand, it's not it, like it is a clear violation of her trust. Like that is part of this relationship that part of the reason why they work so well together is that they respect each other and they listen to each other. And so him going behind her back to, to violate this, this promise that they had, um, is, is un- inexcusable. And so, I mean, like I get his intentions, however well meaning they were, they don't overshadow this betrayal that he was, uh, that he did. And her reaction on the, on the other hand, her reaction just, it isn't unjust or overdramatic. It's perfectly in keeping with, with, um, with, with how she would feel in that situation. Cause that is something that like he, he screwed up what could have been a really great thing for them. Um, and so they, they have their breakup scene or the, the, the end of the, their time together and the sadness in, in the kind of post breakup montage is just really effective. I just, I loved it. Like, um, uh, like, like Frank kind of moping around in, in, in the, uh, in the, in the cabin or, or bungalow or whatever you want to call it. Um, and being told that he has, um, he only has a certain amount of time to get out of there and then, like he, like his, his dialogue with the coach system is just really heartbreaking. Um, and also we get another, like everything happens for a reason thing, which is so, so spot on. Um, I can't tell you enough how much that resonates with me because that is just the opposite thing that you want to hear when you are heartbroken or upset about a relationship. Um, and then, so we get the, like after that, we get, a scene where Frank is Frank and uh, his next relationship are they're hooking up while thinking about their past relationships. And that is so depressing and sad and tragic to me. I just, I think that that's just really, um, I just love that post breakup montage so much. And so then we get the moment where the coach gives Amy her ultimate pairing and um, like, uh, I mean, it seems kind of, contrived i would say that that oh they get one one last uh mini relationship before they meet their ultimate match to help ease the transition and everything which i mean yeah it seems it is a little contrived um to have that because obviously they need that but then also you could kind of you could kind of throw that into the um 
into the uh, idea that that the system wants them to get together, but is keeping them apart as a test, as Amy says. So maybe that's kind of a good justification for that. So anyway, um, she tells the coach to count to four, and then and then just throws it into the pool, and it bounces four times and and goes underwater. And um, first of all, I love that. It's just it's just such a perfect like okay, screw the system, we're gonna go for it scene. Um, but also to bring back the music. I love the music in that scene. It's from a track on the soundtrack called End. Um, and it's just, it's just beautiful. And, um, like I said before, the reason why I love Sigur, Sigur Russ Ross is specifically because of their song Festival, which is at the end of 127 hours. And I can't say that this was better than that. Um, because, I mean, if you've seen 127 hours, just the way that that music builds toward, at, toward the end of that movie, um, and just like the, the way, like the hopefulness of it is just so, so perfect. Um, but I would say that there, the track end in this episode of Hang the DJ is close to being as impactful as that was in 127 hours. Um, yeah, so we get the, the kind of climax or denouement of the episode where they, they run off together and the episode ends with this reveal that the system is a simulation and that Amy and Frank have been inside the dating app. And at that point, I don't really know how I feel about that. So, I mean, I kind of, I think part of it is that I went through this episode kind of liking how it, liking how it fit with my uh, negative opinion of online dating for me personally. So to have it be my interpretation of the ending is that they are simulations in this, um, in this dating app and that that by them going to um by them escaping and being one of the one of the ninety nine nine hundred ninety eight simulations that have rebelled um they thereby made their real life counterparts be matched up by the app and then they can meet in real life um which I kind of like that and and, and I know that I kind of railed against this particular line of thought, so I'm not going to make it as a clear connection. But if you think about it in terms of the technology that's established in other episodes of Black Mirror, it's kind of similar to the idea of consciousness in this, in this simulation. Like they have their own consciousness and, uh, they, it's kind of like they're their own eggs in the app, I guess. Um, and then by, you know, uh, fighting for their love together, they get matched up in the, in the real world. So yeah. And then, and then the episode ends with them meeting and then the, the music plays, oh man, I can't remember what the name of the song was, but it's where the title of the episode, um, comes from. Okay. It's the song, uh, Panic by the Smiths. And I mean, it's a, it's a great song to end the episode on and, uh, a great way to, or a great, uh, uh, usage of the, of the, uh, title or a great inspiration for the title, I guess. So anyway, um, yeah, so, so that is in a nutshell, I'm not in a nutshell, but overall that's my review of hang the DJ. Um, I hope I didn't overlook anything or forget anything, but, uh, feel free to email me in your thoughts. Overall, I, like I said, I adore this episode. It is such a great, um, romantic comedy, romantic story. It's, it's like season four's, um, it's like the, it's like the season four counterpart to San Junipero. 
um, in, in a lot of ways. There are, there are a lot of similarities between this and San Junipero. It's two kind of star-crossed lovers in a, in a strange world. Um, and, you know, in terms of, in terms of storytelling, I think that San Junipero is, is far and away the, the better episode of television. But this had less of a, um, dramatic, uh, less of a dramatic propulsion to it and more of a romantic comedy kind of feel to it. So at the end of the day, I, I appreciate San Junipero and love San Junipero for what it is in the, in the greater scheme of Black Mirror episodes. But I think in terms of personal taste, I might prefer Hang the DJ because it's such a fun, beautiful movie or beautiful movie, um, episode of television, um, that pays homage to a, a genre that I appreciate while also being this dystopic science fiction story, um, that has a lot to say about dating and relationships and, and, you know, finding someone that you want to be with and fighting for that person. Um, I just, I, I really appreciate this episode for a lot of reasons. So anyway, that's my review of Hang the DJ. Uh, next time I will be doing a review of, um, Metalhead. And then I will return to my reviews of the Twilight Zone. Um, next up I'll be reviewing The Whole Truth, which I tried to watch for the first time while very much under the influence of cold medicine. And ended up falling asleep. My notes are a complete mess for that. Um, I basically, <laughs> I, yeah, I'll need to rewatch that a few times, but my bonus review for that episode will be the Patreon selected, uh, Mr. Nobody at long last. Finally, that's actually my January review. And then, um, and then, and then here in a couple weeks after that, I'll be reviewing an episode of the X-Files that, uh, Robert Patreon subscriber, um, recommended. So, uh, check back. Um, yeah, uh, I'll have that out soon. I promise sooner than, than this one came out. Um, so yeah. So like I said, at the top of this episode, if you like what you heard and you want to support the show, um, leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher radio. You can also donate to the podcast through PayPal or by going to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. And also make sure you check out my other podcasts from obsessiveviewer.com. You can find those at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts. So having said all that, thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Anthology, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. For more of Anthology and a full archive of my episodes, go to AnthologyPod.com. And if you want to help support the show, the easiest way you can do that is by leaving a rating and a review on iTunes. You can also make donations to the show courtesy of the donate link in the show notes of each episode and on AnthologyPod.com. For recurring donations, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and just choose one of the anthology reward tiers. If you enjoy anthology, feel free to check out The Obsessive Viewer, a weekly movie and TV podcast I host with my friend Tiny and occasional guest co-hosts over at obsessiveviewer.com. You can also join The Obsessive Viewer Facebook group at facebook.com slash theobsessiveviewer. 
For book reviews and commentary on the world of reading, check out our sister site at obsessivebooknerd.com. And for philosophical discussions from a secular viewpoint, check out my friends Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. Finally, if you'd like to contact me with your thoughts on the show, my reviews, my bonus reviews, or for any other reason, you can tweet me at ObsessiveViewer, send me an email at matt at ObsessiveViewer.com, or send me a message on Facebook and like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash AnthologyPod. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.